Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome everyone to day number nine. Today we are talking about the Western Wall. So the group is leaving from the Davidson Museum, the Southern Steps, and walking towards the Western Wall Plaza. And for security reasons, everyone must pass through a metal detector and have their bags checked before entering the Western Wall area. To speed up the process, I inform the group to make sure that they aren't carrying any glass items or weapons such as pocket knives or even any musical instruments, such as a guitar or a harmonica or a flute or any musical instrument, because many Christians try to go inside and do some worship music, and this is totally not allowed and strictly forbidden. We just passed the security gates and all the group are standing inside the Western Wall Plaza facing the wall itself. If you visit on a Monday or a Thursday morning, the plaza and the prayer area are likely to be very busy. On these two days, the Torah, the five books of Moses, are read during the morning services. It is also a day that 13 years old boys celebrate their bar mitzvah. So you are likely to see groups of people being led by drummers, or other musicians as the young boys are celebrating as they read from the Torah for the very first time with all the musical equipments. So they are allowed because they are Jews. Let me make this point clear. Christians are not allowed to use any kind of music at the Western Wall Plaza. And trust me, they will know that you are a Christian. The security police have cameras all over, and this place is monitored 24 hours. This is what I will share with the group today. First, I'm going to answer 10 common questions that groups ask me all the time. Then after that, we're going to go and learn about the historical part of the Western Wall and go all the way back to the time of King Solomon. Then we're going to learn about the spiritual value of the Western Wall. The Western Wall today is one of the most important sites to the Jewish faith. But also it's open for everyone to come and visit and say a prayer or to sit with God in their own way. Don't be afraid or embarrassed to go right up to the wall and to touch and feel it and to connect with its history and spirituality. When it comes how to behave at the Western Wall, on your way going up to the wall, just think about what is respectful and polite. 
you will see a lot of groups of children, teenagers, even soldiers, even religious men, and they will not be quiet. There will be shouting, there will be singing, dancing, and displays of noise, especially in the plaza. And at the wall, you should be much more quiet and more mindful of those around you who are praying and having a personal moment with God. Do not disturb them with loud talking or laughing or taking pictures. One of the traditions associated with the wall is to leave a note in the cracks in the wall. And you'll notice little pieces of paper crammed into the cracks of the wall as you approach it. If you want, add your prayer to the hundreds of thousands of others. You can write a personal prayer or a request or a healing prayer or anything you need from God to answer you. Just write it on a prayer. It's very symbolic. It's a common of people to make a prayer for sick relatives or friends asking also for prayers from Jerusalem. You can write whatever you want and know that no one is ever going to read it. The wall is cleared of notes twice a year and the notes themselves are considered to be holy and like other holy Jewish texts are buried in consecrated ground. Many times the prayer area is so crowded you may find it hard to get up to the wall. Be polite and ask people to move for you. There are certain prayers during which people cannot move. So if you see someone praying very intensely, wait until they are finished before asking them to move out of your way. It just be appropriate. You also can take pictures, including selfies at the wall. However, be respectful of others and try to avoid taking photos of other people directly into their faces unless you ask their permission. And they will say, sorry, they will say no to you if they are inside the Western Wall. Do not take a photo from the men's section into the women's section and vice versa. People can get very angry if they think the proper laws of separation of modesty are not being adhered to. In Judaism, there is a separation between the man and the woman. And this is why you see the wall separated into two parts. If you want to take a photo of people praying, it's best to do it from the plaza itself and not inside the western wall. You can use your phone, but it's necessary to exit the prayer area and head back to the plaza to talk. So please don't talk on your phone inside the western wall. If you want to use social media apps or a live video, do it from the plaza rather than up close to the wall. And you will notice many people walking backwards away from the wall. This is because like you would not turn your back on a king or a member of royalty. You shouldn't turn your back on God as a sign of honor and respect. Some people will walk backwards the entire way. Others will take a few symbolic steps backwards and then walk out of the prayer area in the regular way. Please do not hand out any religious materials or any tracts at the western wall or the plaza. This could land you in a very serious trouble. 
there are special religious police at the wall as well as a lot of security and cameras around you. If someone comes up to you and tries to give you religious materials, especially a religious woman, Jewish, or talk about the Messiah, do not explain why you believe Jesus is the Messiah. It's best not to engage these people in conversation and to politely hand back any materials they may try to give to you. Visiting the Western Wall on a Jewish Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night carries a few extra restrictions, not in place during the rest of the week, but it also carries an extra special flavor as Jews celebrate the holiest and most special day of their week, the Sabbath. If you are at the wall on a Friday evening night at around sundown, the wall will be incredibly busy with the groups celebrating the start of the Sabbath with a special prayer service. There is likely to be a lot of noise and a lot of singing and dancing around. Owing to restrictions against using electricity on the Sabbath, taking photographs is forbidden. So you will have to store the memories in your head and mind rather than in the digital camera. Be respectful of others' observance of Sabbath and don't try to sneak photographs, please. Not only this is disrespectful, but people take any violation of Shabbat very seriously and will get annoyed with anyone that is breaking the rules, which can be upsetting and embarrassing for you. Let me share with you 10 common questions about the Western world. Number one, what exactly are people doing at the Western Wall? Many people are praying close to the wall and in the prayer areas for them to contemplate about bringing the heart of God down to earth because this is the place where God's presence, they believe, used to be and still there and this is the area they get nearest to the Holy of Holies. This is a holy site, and this is the place where people come to pray, to cry, and even to plead to God. This is where they can get the nearest, as I said, to the Holy of Holies that once stood. Question number two. Why is the Western Wall sometimes called the Wailing Wall? According to the Talmud, the central text of Judaism. When the second temple was destroyed, all the gates of heaven were closed too, except for one, which was known as the Gate of Tears. Throughout the centuries, Jews have come to cry out to God to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. This tearful, wailing prayer gave the wall one of its most common names. The Wailing Wall. Question number three. Why are men and women separated? As you see, there are two parts, two sections. In Orthodox Judaism, men and women always sit separately during prayers. There is a separation between man and woman to preserve modesty and no distraction 
during prayer times. Question number four. Why is the men's section so much bigger than the women's section? Men are required to pray three times a day while there is no such demand placed on women. So more men tend to visit the Western world than women. Also, men have to pray as part of a minyan. A minyan is a number of ten men, whereas women pray individually. Question number five. Why people are rocking back and forth or bending over when they are praying? What are they doing? The rocking back and forth is common during prayer prayers. It's not a religious rule, but it is something that a lot of people seem to do. The bending over happens during a specific prayer when God's name is mentioned. It's a sign of respect, like bowing before a king, and a sign of concentration and being focused when you worship God with all your bones, with all your heart, and with all your mind. You are just focused towards him. Question number six. What are the books lying around for? These are prayer books containing the three daily prayer services as well as various other prayers and services. There are also Bibles, books of the Psalms, and other types of prayer books like the Talmud and the Mishnah. You can look through them and see if they have a translation in English. If you do pick a book up, be careful not to drop it on the floor and treat it with respect and honor. If you accidentally drop it down on the floor, it is a custom to pick it up straight away and to kiss the cover. You don't have to kiss the book, but please pick it up and put it back where it was. Question number seven. Why are some men covering their heads with what looks like a blanket? These blankets are prayer shawls that all married men wear when praying. They cover their heads to help them concentrate on their prayer and to block out some of the noise and the distractions going on around them. It's very practical because they want to isolate themselves from the world and get into the Word of God. Question number eight. Why are some men wearing furry, like huge cheese wheel hats, shape? These large furry hats are worn by married men who belong to one of the ultra-Orthodox Hasidic sect. Members of this sect are called the Hasidim, and they wear these hats on the Sabbath, Jewish holidays, or other festive occasions. If the hats look like a throwback to the 18th century Poland, that's because they are from Poland. Hasidim follow a strict dress code that has its origin in the beginning of the Hasidic movement, which started in Poland in the 18th century, and different styles of hats depends from what country you come from, such as Russia or Germany or any country from Europe. So the shape of the hat represents your background. 
Question number nine. What is the red string that people are giving out? Some people believe that the red strings ward off the evil eye and are a good luck symbol. The belief is rooted in Jewish folklore and has gained some prominence since Madonna made the Kabbalah so popular. You will have to make a small monetary donation and the belief is you should wear it until it falls off. By the way, you don't have to do it, but I'm explaining it for you. And the last question, the last common question, number 10. I see teenagers who are not dressed as soldiers carrying guns. Should I be worried? No, guns are a fact of life in Israel, where the majority of teenagers, male and female, serve in the army for two to three years. The male for three years, the female for two years. You will often see people not dressed in uniform having guns. These teens might be in the army, but on leave. They are not required to wear a uniform, but according to law, they cannot leave their guns and weapons unattended. This is why they carry it on them. Do you notice wherever you walk, you are surrounded by rocks? Look around you in the Western Wall Plaza. It's all rocks are everywhere in this country. And by the way, you can take as many rocks as you want back home. And no wonder Jesus speaks a lot about rocks in scripture. Let me share with you about some historical background and then later spiritual background about this area. The western wall is all that remains of one of the retaining walls of once what was the Jerusalem Second Temple, where Jesus taught and healed. King Herod's temple began as a remodeling project in 19 BC before Christ, and its construction continued long after Herod's death. The Second Temple was finally completed only seven years before the Romans came and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. The western wall stands 60 feet high and approximately 160 feet long. Great stones, huge stones with Herodian architect from the first century can be seen in the lower part of the wall. The Jewish people gathered at the Wailing Wall today to remember the temple, the place where God's presence had been manifested as the sacrifices were made, on Fridays at sunset, and on the Eve feast days and fast days, Orthodox Jews gather at the wall to mourn the temple that is destroyed, and the majesty that departed from the temple and departed from Israel. Let me give you some historical background of the area. In ancient times, Abraham, the first one who made Aliyah up to Jerusalem, was told by God to go to the land of Moriah and to sacrifice his only son. Abraham obeyed God, but the angel of the Lord stopped him and provided a sacrificial animal as a substitute. Abraham learned 
the powerful lesson that one day God would sacrifice his only son for all of mankind and it would happen on this mountain, Mount Moriah, which is adjacent to the Western Wall. King David desired to build a temple on Mount Moriah, but God chose his son Solomon to build the first temple. And this is what we're going to focus on today. The first temple. Later in Jewish history, the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem. And the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first temple in 586 BC. Let us read together from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 to 15. The Lord appears to Solomon. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. What place? At the temple place, which is the wall that was nearest to the first temple and to the second temple, what we see in front of us. So this is why it is so significant. But let us get to the spiritual side. This passage describes the time when King Solomon, who was King David's son, had just finished constructing the temple, the first temple, the building where the Ark of the Covenant would live. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's commitment to and presence with the nation of Israel. And after the temple is built and dedicated and the people have gone home, the Lord speaks to King Solomon personally. At what time of the day does God speak to Solomon? In verse 12, it is written, in the night. I wonder why that detail is included. If it's night time, where is Solomon? Where is he located? Probably he is at his own house. What kind of conversation might happen at night? Is it a public or a private conversation? Is it loud or it's quiet? And probably Solomon is by himself alone in his room in the quiet after the party. God speaks 
intimately and directly to him as the leader and the representative of the people. What does the Lord say to Solomon? Verse 12, I have heard your prayer. This is why I'm asking to you to go to the wall and pray. Because God heard to Solomon prayers. Earlier, Solomon prayed that God would be with him and with God's people. That God would hear their prayers. That God would forgive them when they needed forgiveness. And look what is God's answer. I have heard you and I chose to be with you. This is in verse 13. And look what are the three things that Geist says may happen to the nation over time. Let me read the verse for you. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. So there are three things that can happen to a nation when they get away from God. First, no rain. Second, the locust devours the land. And third, plague, epidemic. Now I just want to stretch you a little bit. Think what's happening today in the nation here in USA. No rain is something spiritual means spiritually dry people are going away from god and not believing in him so locusts devour the land locusts will eat all the crops in the bible the locusts symbolizes and indicates that more armies more battles would overrun a nation like a lot of battles gonna happen and not like battles today physically war it can be battles through media battles through who is controlling the economy all kind of battles and as a result also these battles can be plagues or epidemic like what is happening today COVID-19 and these things sounds terrible what would happen to a country when there is no rain spiritually dry there is armies attacks on that country and there's a lot of diseases how would it feel to the nation of course it's a disaster a lot of jobs are lost famine illness death destruction Look what's happening nowadays in the news. It would feel hopeless, fear, a lot of anxiety, no safety, unsure future. And this is what the world is passing through. But those bad things aren't the end of the nation, are they? Look what God tells Solomon in verse 14 that the people need to do when bad things happen. If my people do what? Humble themselves. First thing, we need to humble ourselves. When plagues, epidemics takes place, 
we recognize that we are weak. We need the help of God. Number one, humble ourselves. Number two, to pray. And number three, to seek God's face. And to turn from our wicked ways. And what does God say will result when the people do these things? Humble, pray, and seek. Look in verse 14. God will hear from heaven. God will give, forgive their sins. God will heal our land. God's eyes will be open and ears attentive to our prayers. Like at the Western Wall. God's eyes and heart will be with us all the time. So if our nation had the promises of forgiveness and healing from this epidemic, how would you feel? So what we have to do, us as people, what matters to us, look at verse 14 at the instructions. We should humble ourselves. What do you think it means to humble yourself? What does it mean for a nation to be humble? It means to kill your pride. Pride is the source of sin. This world is under the dominion of an enemy and he is working through your pride. We are aware what he is up to. It's all about our pride. The enemy fall down from heavens because of his pride. We should be humble and lose our pride or ego. Please have zero ego. This is when heavens gets opened and God will use you. I'm telling you a personal experience. Have no ego. You will see the divine spirit hovering over your life. And then, when you have no ego, you will consider others. Consider other needs and interests before your own needs and interests. Always put yourself in the other side. When you go to church or when you see someone at work, don't just talk about yourself. Just try to listen to the other person. Ask him questions. How was your day? How are you feeling today? Put yourself in his shoes. Try to do it. This will bless him so much. It's never about us. It's about the others, how we can serve them. And then pray. Why do we pray? What does it mean for a nation to pray? Because when we pray, we get the wisdom from God. When we intentionally pray, we seek wisdom and provision from God. God said, seek my face, like Solomon seeked God's face and completed building the temple according to the heart of God. 
So what does it mean to see God's face? What does it mean for a nation to see God's face? It means looking for God's direction in all the ways, in all your decisions. Seeing things with God's eyes and not human eyes. Which means putting God's will above our own will. And this is what King Solomon had done. And look what the verse says. Turn from their wicked ways. What does it mean for a person to turn away from wickedness? What does it mean for a nation to turn away from wickedness? I don't want to enter into politics. But look what's happening around us today especially during the time of the elections. We do not need to divide. We need to unite. People should turn back to God. And what does it mean? It means we have to admit our faults. No one is perfect. There is no perfect solution. All humans had failed down. So if we admit our fault, and change and go the other way and repent seeking justice seeking god's will in our lives first that what counts and these are the instructions that god gave solomon they are very helpful pray that our nation would be humble not full of pride and self-wisdom, but God's wisdom. Pray that our nation would consider not only our needs, but the needs of others. Who do we as a nation particularly need to take care of today? Think about it. Pray that our nation would ask God for direction and for God's will to be done. We need as a nation to take care of ourselves pray that our nation would admit that they made mistakes and seek healing for those mistakes and what is god's promise to his people if we do these things look at verse 14 and 15 if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. What place again? The temple area. The western wall. I wonder why God says in this place twice, in verse 12 and verse 15. What place is God talking about? Is God being here general or he's being specific? He is being very specific. This place is the Holy of Holies. It's God's presence and promises are so specific Solomon asked for God's provision and protection for his people the nation of Israel 
where they were living at that time and place. We should pray the same for God's presence to be on us. And this is the promise. If we see God with humility and turn from selfishness and pride, God will listen and respond in this place, in this nation. We don't necessarily know what the answer or direction will look like, but we trust in God's goodness for us right now, even in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of epidemic. Here at this moment of history, we need to humble ourselves. For how long does God promise his presence? How steadfast is God's presence when we humble and we seek his face? It's written forever, for all the time. His presence is here in our lives, in our nation, if we humble ourselves. And I will ask from the group for prayers request, especially for your nation, because we should follow what God tells us. Humble ourselves, seek his face, and repent. The main point of what God is telling Solomon, seek God's presence forgiveness and direction so i tell the group to go down to the wall and do the same thing seek god's presence and humble yourself and ask for direction to your life and i ask the people when they do that to put both of their hands on the wall and pray for forgiveness and humbleness for themselves and for their nation and then pray with an open heart for God to open the eyes and the ears of the Jewish people to recognize their Messiah and that his presence is not anymore in the Ark of Covenant which stood not far from here but his presence is in the Messiah and the Holy Spirit, and it's already here. And I love you to pray verse 15. Now my eyes will open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place today at this moment of history. And usually I give the group 30 minutes to visit the wall and show them a meeting place before we separate and when the group come back at this specific location I can see in their eyes how much God has touched them and how much the Spirit is working in their lives and this makes my heart rejoice for people to be at the Western Wall it's very symbolic and very deep where King Solomon seeks God's face. And where the first temple once stood, and the second temple also stood, and where the third temple will stand, according to Scripture. 
But I want to tell you one important point that many Christians miss. It's not the temple anymore. It's not the Holy of Holies. It's not the Ark of Covenant. God's presence is not anymore in buildings. Me and you are the temple stones. The Holy Spirit lives in us and Jesus is the foundation stone. There are many Christians that get misled and misdirected to understand that God's presence is not anymore. So the third temple will be built. Eschatology is a huge subject. I will not enter to it in this podcast. But you have to understand that when the third temple will be built and sacrifices will take place and God will still not answer prayers. Because already Jesus came and he is the temple. And me and you are the stones of this temple. And the Holy Spirit indwells in us. Thank you so much for hearing this podcast. I hope that you spiritually learned something new. I want to inform you about my fourth book that will be published soon in a few months. So if you have any questions or you want a copy or you are interested in this book, it's called Walking the Land. And it will carry you through a journey of 10 days, 9 nights of all the information that speaks about the land of the Bible. From Jesus' birth in Bethlehem all the way to learn about his childhood in Nazareth and about his ministry as a rabbi in Galilee and then back to Jerusalem for Passover and then resurrection. So, from Jesus' birth to his resurrection, a chronological order of a tour of 10 days, 9 nights in the land of Israel. Also, I wrote other three books. The first book is called One Friday in Jerusalem. It speaks about my story. The second book is a journal. When people come to Israel or even if they were before there, they can take this book and every site written a description of verses from scripture about each location so it's like a journal you can write how god touched you in specific locations and the third book is called heading to the holy land if you need information or if you want to plan for a tour in the future for a group or that god puts on your heart this book will help you and give you all the tools from A to Z, how to get a group all the way to Israel. It's called Heading to the Holy Land. And you can find all my books on my website, www.onefridayinjerusalem.com slash shop. Thank you so much for your time. And tomorrow will be the last day, 10 days. And we're going to talk about the road to Emmaus.